We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it begins. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We are services so trent here we are another podcast another recording it seems another guest yes uh this this would be the first guest i believe who's ever the first discussion guest who's ever birthed a person and that person is me i'm the first person who's ever birthed a person or birthed one of you guys well, we've definitely interviewed people who have who have children, sure. but most of our discussion guests are just like like muggles like us. Sure. And it would be problematic if they had kids. But sure. you're I think you're the perfect age. Of a respectable age to have had children. Yeah, and Trent, do you, I think do you do you want to introduce your guest to the to the listeners of Craft Services? I'm sure from the context clues everyone <laughs> could get could have gathered this on their own, but my mother everyone Hello. Tracy Algar. Hi. But without you, we wouldn't have this podcast. Parth would probably have a competing podcast with some other bozo named Bent Albert. (laughs) And they wouldn't be covering Jaws in the same way that we're about to. Hmm. No, this is a a mini-series entirely created by Trent, actually. Trent texted me, we should do Jaws, the Jaws series. I think that was the extent of my effort. Uh, so don't tr- give me too much credit. But Well, I wouldn't uh, have and, said, let's do Jaws Summer. Like, I like did, Jaws, fine enough. He didn't but. put a PowerPoint presentation and give you the big sell. And I really want to bring my mom on now. No, yeah. but w- once we found out we were doing Jaws, it would have felt inappropriate to not have you on. He, yeah, he had also said... Ba- backlash for I, that. I think I'd said from the beginning... Like, it would just be an interesting dynamic to have either of our moms on the show, and we'd had the conversation of what would be the movie that would prompt such a thing. Oh. And I think for Kurt, I'm still narrowing it down. But it, it, you know it when you see it. Well, when I left the house, he was watching Star Wars. Mm. So, that might be it. That might be one. But he loves Sandlot. Yeah, you know, yeah. That might, I, feel like, I feel like there's probably something more personal that we can find. Yeah, right. What about your mother? What movie what, would... What would bring on movie? Mrs. Marathe? Or wow. Mr. Marate. Um, Mr. Marate loves Predator. He would Ooh. probably come. He would love to come on for that one. Um, both my for parents all. love The Matrix. They might have to duel that one out. But I feel like I know more what books my mom likes. It's like my mom loves Pride and Prejudice, but she has mixed thoughts on the movie. Um, my mom likes the book Emma. So she might want to come on if we ever did Clueless, because she prefers Clueless as an adaptation to other straight adaptations of Emma. Um, yeah, I guess that's the... And, and we had uh, the fourth member of the Marate clan on already. Viraj, who's Parth's 14... 15? 14. 14. But he's taller than Parth. Okay. But we talked about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, that's and, a great movie. And there's definitely... Uh, Someday Tate will get on the show when, when the moment is right. Mm. So I'm not the first genetic relationship. No. Um, okay. All right. I see. I understand. 
But so I'm... what have what have you been eating, Trent? Let's get you out of this situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah, out of this conversational corner. What I had is um, for lunch. I had some pizza that I bought at Daniel's last night because friend of the show. Parth, remember when we were mad at each other for scheduling reasons, and then I saw you impaired last night, and everything's okay? No comment. Okay. Um, so, we were, were not consuming alcohol, and Jordan Sikafus uh, claimed that she craved pizza, and so we went to Daniel's, and then she wanted to stay in the car, and by the time I got back in the car, she was asleep, and then... Um, I, we came back here and then with the intention of eating said pizza. And then by the time I came in here, talked to you guys and then came in back and there she was asleep. And so there was a lot of untouched pizza this morning. And so needless to say, when lunch rolled around, I had no choice, but Jackson friend of the show and housemate eats pizza for breakfast. And I have thoughts on that because I think you need to put something breakfasty themed in yourself before you have anything lunch or dinner themed. Mm. So you you would say that you can't skip breakfast? I would say that even if it's noon or 1 p.m. and I haven't eaten anything and I'm starving, I would much rather have something breakfast oriented before jumping straight into one of the later meals, just like palate wise. So is it because it's savory or because of the components or the oil factor is just too much first thing in the morning? Like what, what's your opposition? Because I've certainly had pizza for breakfast. No, it's not on it's not on a, on a widespread scale or anything. But I just feel like generally if like if you woke up and someone was like, here's spaghetti and meatballs, like here's meatloaf, here's something commonly associated with later in the day. You'd be mm. like, I don't want that. What are you talking about? Mm. Just, your, your mouth isn't prepared for it. You have a little bit more of a discerning palate than me, because if I wake up and I'm hungry, I'll eat it. What have you eaten last? What did I eat last? I had a um, Asian crunch salad, Asian crunch salad with, um, and what else? Oh, oh, and I put some tuna fish on it because I needed a little protein to like. You're hum- eating disproportionately healthy recently. Yeah, well, I was in the hospital. Well, for yeah, a week. <laughs> the ho- the hospital caused a slight delay to draw summer. Oh yeah. 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 It's because your appendix had to be forcibly removed. It wasn't my appendix. What was it? <laughs> your gallbladder? My gallbladder. Uh, yes. See, Parth, he yeah. listens. Thank you, Parth. I knew that it was one of those mm-hmm. non-essential organs. Well, it is something that can be removed, but and you can still function. But I do have to change my diet a little bit, um, and which is fine, and it's all good, and it's it's um, it's manageable. What's the word for like your tailbone or an or a vestigial? Right. It's not a vestigial organ. But that's like a tailbone. Like we well, evolved out yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well Sorry, my mom's a science teacher. Yeah. So You know, they used to say that your appendix, speaking of the appendix, was a vestigial organ, but now we know that it's a place where like your gut microbiome will hang out and um in case of, you know, antibiotics or massive diarrhea or something and, and recolonize your intestines. So it has a purpose, but you can get by without it. Like the gallbladder has a purpose, but you can't get by without it. Speaking of Parth, what's hanging out in your microbiome? I'm glad you asked, and in that way. As I told you off air, I went to a Korean restaurant with my dad, Faraj, friend of the show, and our younger cousin, Nikhil, and um, I had pork bulgogi with rice, and it was very, very good. Um, yeah, but you're I had glowing. so much. It shows. Thank you. Um, <laughs> 
I had so much, and then I took a 90-minute nap, and then I had to delay recording by half an hour because I, it, it wasn't nothing good was going to come out of my mouth um, at 4. But 4.30 was, was possible. Showing a fashionably late, very Trent move of you. You uh, <laughs> finally started to rub off my, my, my negative influence. I, my, your mom isn't going to let you hang out with me anymore. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think it's time we move into the, the, the movie of the day. The Jaws part of the Jaws summer podcast during Jaws summer. Yeah, uh, I think it's time. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. But this week, and for the next three weeks, that's not what we're doing. Trent, do you care to explain what's happening? Yes. For the first time ever, uh, we are discussing movies that we don't necessarily cover with an interview. And for that reason... um, we can talk about old movies, and we can talk brutally honest about movies because there won't be a nice person who just volunteered their time to talk with us about their contribution, and so we could say whatever about Jaws 3D that comes to mind. Um, yeah, and by the time we get to Jaws the Revenge, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in that discussion, you know? There's been a rumor about Jaws the Revenge. Oh, uh, Mom, have you seen any of the other Jaws films? No, and that's what I was just going to jump in and say. Surprise, I only saw Jaws. Granted, I've seen it maybe 30 times. But I have not seen any of the other ones because, you know... Wait, so let's make a challenge out of this. Okay. If you were to try to guess, Mm -hmm. in any of the other Jaws films, what do you think happens? It must be a new shark. Right? It's got not the same. It's got to be a new shark. <laughs> Wait, it could be a prequel. A could be. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's like <gasps> the baby shark. Right. Baby shark. Um, I, I, you know, maybe that's why. Or I it's never like Jaws' it. son. Jaws. I think maybe, isn't one of them like something like that? I don't know if it's stated in the text because I think how would you know? How would you know? Um, yeah. but it's. A fellow really big, just as big, or bigger sharks. Mm-hmm. And so if there's no hereditary affiliation, these sharks are a lot bigger than we were given credit for. Yeah, I have um, I have no idea, so I'm really not going to be able to add anything to that part of the, the discussion. Well, I mean, we're he- not here to discuss Jaws for the revenge. Thank we're you. here to discuss Steven Spielberg's 1975 invention of the summer blockbuster. Thank you. Jaws. And with that, should we have our guest give a 10-word synopsis? Trent? Oh, dear. It, it, yeah. Sorry, we... Uh, this is, this is the That's most okay. pressure you'll be That's under. That's okay. It, but it's, it's the gun we have to hold to the guest's head to loosen them up. Okay. So, I, I'm going to have to count my words. Shark arrives, uh, tourist island... Uh, Mayhem ensues. <laughs> Wait, you have four more words. Um, I'm going to leave it at six. Cool, efficient. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you just said a bunch of words that, like, like bu- Jaws buzzwords. Like, beach, shark. Hey. No, but also, like, you covered your bases. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. fair. 
because I was nervous that I would like ramble. So I went the other way. And most people cheat and do 11 and hope we don't notice. No, I, I went 6. But before we get too into the thick of things, do you want to tell people like why you think we're having you on for this? Do you, do you have any particular affinity for the film? I have a ridiculous affinity for the film. And do you have any history with the film? I do. Um, well, before, uh, I'm sure your guests know that we're in New Jersey. I grew up in Keyport and Matawan. And... That is, in 1916, there was, and I wasn't alive then, I'm old, but not that old. But um, in 1916, there was shark attacks on the Jersey Shore. And I, and Keyport and Matawan is very close to where the final, like, two shark attacks occurred. And I um, lived right on what we called the swamp. Incorrectly, we called the swamp, but it's really wetlands or marshland. And I would go down there cruising around, an early biology person, and my dad would say, don't go in that water. There could be sharks in there. And I kind of thought that he was crazy, you know? And um, not that I knew that much about sharks and that they couldn't, like, osmoregulate in, like, this brackish water, um, so-called. Um, and so, uh, but then when the movie came out, when I was in seventh grade, summer of seventh grade, I was locked on and I kind of knew that uh, I, I incorrectly thought that the book that had come out just like a year or two before, um, was based on the New Jersey story. I think my dad told me that, but um, and here later, I've heard interviews with P- Peter Benchley, and he said that it was about who who wrote the book Jaws. He said that it was about a large shark that was caught off the co- uh, the point of Montauk, Long yeah. Island. Yeah, I just heard him say that. Um, but there are many similarities to the nineteen sixteen story that was in my head. So, um, and then I did see it, you know, maybe seven, ten times that summer like going to the actual movie theater and going to see it because I was pretty obsessed with it. We had a built-in pool in my backyard with Grandpa Foxy's. And um, I would pretend in the pool that I was Chrissy Watkins, like getting dragged around in the pool and uh, get myself, you know, freaked out about that. So I was really, I was really into it. And since then, anytime it's on television, I would stop doing what I'm doing and I have to sit down and watch it. And there's probably a handful of other movies that are like that, that take, you know, precedent over everything else. Yeah. It's like if any, if they're on the boat in like the third act, like there's no chance, like we'll skip like a PTA meeting. Oh yeah. No. Um, but also I distinctly remember like us being in Hawaii on vacation, like in the hotel. And it was the, I only remember it because something traumatizing happened. But I remember it was the boat, it was the Ben Gardner's boat scene. The movie was on in the hotel? Yes. Okay. When we were in Hawaii. Good thing we were spending our time in the hotel room watching TV. That's exactly (laughs) where this is going, in a very tropical (laughs) climate. Um, But I I remember this because it was when the head popped out of the boat, and you were just as, like, fixated, like, you were not worried about us being scared. You were like, Jaws is on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and when when Ben, uh, I'm I'm sure I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but when Ben no, I Gardner's, think this is a perf- perfectly spoiled movie at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's when, a shark in it, guys. Yeah, when Ben Gardner's people. head pops out of the hole, I 
do my very best blood curdling scream every single time. Um, and especially if there are other people in the room, then I really like do it just to, you know, add to it. No, no. And, but like the sound effect is so weird. It's like a, it's like a delayed scrape. It's like, ah! you know, <laughs> but even watching it today, I was like, I know what's going to happen. And I know generally when, but like, I'm still on edge. Well, I don't know if we should be jumping around about that, but you you know that they filmed that in the in ed- a pool. Yeah, in the editor's um, pool um, with milk. Yeah, they had to make it look murky, so they put milk in there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that part? I did not, and I oh. made the production history for this. Oh, okay. Episode. Yeah, and they had to go back because they had seen some. Um, What's it called when they show it and uh, like a, t- a preview or, or like a preview type of a thing? There's a, some industry term for it, but like a sneak preview, something like that. There was just not the right reaction. It seemed a little slow. So they he uh, Spielberg went back and filmed it again in the pool um, just so that the timing was right for that scream. So I think it's like my duty to add to that energy by doing my blood curdling scream. But also you're like easily startled. I am easily startled, like post-traumatic stress syndrome. (laughs) Easily startled, ridiculously um, jumpy. So mom, how many people do you think Jaws eats in this movie? People? Five people. And what's the the exception? Pippet. Or Pippet. Pippet or Pippet. Yeah, okay. But it's for for a movie like for a movie about a man eating shark. I mean, five people is a lot of people for like souls to be taken. Right. But in a in a in a in a weird way, like it feels so much more massive than that. Like that could just be a car accident. No, no, and people truly. still get in cars. Trent, do you want to give the synopsis of the movie, or should I do the synopsis so you can do the budget and box office? Oh, oh, oh! Trent has the opportunity to write it down. Oh, beforehand, oh, I was not forewarned. So it, that's it, how it works. I get you. It's okay. sort of a challenge that the 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 celebrity guest does their best, and then we sort of like undercut them mm. by immediately being like, "Oh, and here's it in three very well written sentences with commas and periods." Got and it. Stuff. But you're forgiven because you called me celebrity guest, so all is well. We can Parth, move you're up. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Cape Cod, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. So the budget is $9 million, and the box office is 472 So, yeah, did they break even? I think they probably broke even, yeah. I think they probably made a little... I think it was the biggest uh, blockbuster up until... Um, yeah, because it was probably until Star Wars. Star Wars broke it, and then ET broke that. But I don't know if it was ever the highest grossing film of all time. It was. What about Casablanca? Oh, it no. Uh, it, Cas- it, Casablanca was not. It was Gone with the Wind was the biggest. Oh, Gone movie. with the Wind. That's it, the one that people say. And if you for if you adjust for inflation, it still is. But yeah. Oh really? It made, oh. It made something like three point five or three point seven billion dollars adjusted for inflation. Oh, okay. As so, in, like, four out of five Americans probably saw it. Yeah. And it was super long with an intermission. It was long. Oh, yeah. Gone with the Wind was very long. Not until Avatar 2 replaces it. Oh. Well. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, I do want to say something about your disc- your synopsis in that it, 
You know, it said marine biologist, which I agree, but in most everything else that you read, they call him an oceanographer. And I was like, he's not an oceanographer. Well, he's a marine biologist. But I think just because they me. say he's from the Oceanographic Institute. Yeah, I know, but he's a marine, he's definitely a marine biologist. Uh, just Trenton, you were almost a marine biologist. Isn't this true? I was, I, funny you asked that because I was just going to ask for what the best distinction between an oceanographer and a marine biologist are. Well, um, you know what biotic and abiotic is? Biotic means life and abiotic means not alive, where a marine biologist would study organisms that are alive in the ocean, mm -hmm. where uh, an oceanographer would mostly study the a the abiotic or non-living components, waves, um, topography, topography, thank you, uh, that sort of thing. Salinity, you know, chemistry. Um, so I think it's just a, ma a matter of that. But he's a shark expert, so he's a marine biologist. So thank you, Parth, for getting that correct. But it, it is funny you bring up my past as a potential marine bio biologist because I did write my college essay about Jaws and about your experience with Jaws and about how your experience with Jaws affects my life and sort of... <laughs> Uh, I s sort of constructed a story about how Jaws had affected most of the decisions in my life and made me want to study marine biology. And then also I was like, maybe I don't want to do this, but Jaws is a really good movie. <gasps> movies. People make movies. I can do that. And so... Uh, and now Craft Services is here talking about Jaws. So yeah. Right. And Rutgers University Admissions Department ate it right up. And But... Uh, Coincidentally, I don't know. Your sister is studying uh, fish genetics. Yes. Yeah. So, so there so is. She's playing out the other side of my fake life. Yeah, and he was. Um, you were a Hooper for Halloween, Halloween. which he had. I, I will have to share that uh, pictures because he really did. A great oh, we'll job do that yet. for the Instagram post. I, I, I had a, I went to Party City and I got a big shark balloon and then I like tied it to my wrist and it carried me it followed me around all day and uh, I I wore like the denim fit because there are different Matt Hooper fits all just blue in some capacity but all denim all the time and this and that the yeah and the the, be hat, the beanie and the, the beanie. glasses yeah shark I mean, it looked pretty good. No beard. I don't think you were capable of a beard at the time. Not, not, not yet. Nor, nor allowed. Oh, that's right. It wasn't allowed. But also, my follicles weren't ready for this. But think about it. I could have. The, the one thing I was allowed to have in high school was a mustache. But the thought of that was preposterous, because the reason that they justify it is they say you can't have any facial hair because you wouldn't have a a good seal with yeah. a gas mask. Right. But a mustache is outside of that. Yeah. Now look at me. Now look at you. It took Top Gun. All right. Well, this is Top Gun Summer. No, this is Top Gun Summer, but at the same time, it's Jaws Summer. Yeah. So is that why you have the rest of the full growth down there, this too? This part's Top Gun. This is all shark. Okay, it's working. I get it. Good for you. Parth, is it, is it production history time? I think it's production history time. So Parth's going to talk for a while. Okay. But if he says anything interesting, you let him know. But we, who's to say if that's going to happen? Okay. So Richard D. Zanuck, or Zanuck, I don't know how that's pronounced. Zanuck. Okay. And David Brown, producers at Universal Pictures, independently heard about Peter Benchley's novel Jaws. They each read the book over the course of a single night and agreed the next morning that it was, quote, the most exciting thing they had ever read. 
and they wanted to produce a film version, although they were unsure of how it was going to be accomplished. They purchased the film rights in 1973 before the book's publication for approximately $175,000, which is equivalent to over $1 million in 2021. To direct, Zanuck and Brown first considered John Sturges before offering the job to Dick Richards, um, whose directorial debut, The Culpepper Cattle Co., had come out the previous year. But they were irritated by Richards's habit of describing the shark as a whale and dropped him from the project. I assume that's because of the Moby Dick of it all. Meanwhile, Steven Spielberg really wanted the job. The 26-year-old had just directed his first theatrical film, The Sugarland Express, for Zanuck and Brown. And after Richard's departure, they signed Spielberg on to direct in June of 1973. The film was given an estimated budget of $3.5 million and a shooting schedule of 55 days, with principal photography set to begin in May 1974. But then it became flaws. Over budget, over schedule. Universal wanted the shoot to finish by the end of June, when the major studio's contract with the Screen Actors Guild was due to expire, to avoid any disruptions due to a potential strike. Spielberg discarded many of Penchley's subplots from the book, saying that his favorite part of the book was the shark hunt in the last 120 pages. He told Zanuck when he accepted the job, quote, I'd like to do the picture if I could change the first two acts and base the first two acts on an original screenplay material, and then be very true to the book for the last third. Benchley did an initial draft with the basic plot of the film, but had has very little of the character work that you see in the finished film. Writer Howard Sackler did an uncredited rewrite on the film, as producers were pretty unhappy with Benchley's draft. Friend of Spielberg, Carl Gottlieb, was then brought on to do some dialogue polishing, but ended up rewriting the entire screenplay over the course of filming. Um, and I have a little bit here about how kind of chaotic the shoot was because scenes were written the night before they were meant to be shot with many lines of dialogue being improvised on the day. Robert, du- Robert Duvall and Charlton Heston were both considered for the role of Brody, but Roy Scheider eventually won out. The roles of Quint and Hooper were not cast until nine days before the film entered production before being ultimately being filled out by... Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus, respectively. Principal photography began in May 2nd, um, 1974, on the island of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, with the fishing village of Menemsha, Martha's Vineyard, being the primary location. Production initially planned to train a great white shark, but quickly realized this was impractical. Instead, they created three full-size prop sharks, This creation required 40 effects technicians and 14 operators to control all of the moving parts. Parth, we should train a great white shark to edit our episodes. That'd be pretty awesome. This was the first major motion picture to actually shoot on the ocean, and this caused many production issues and budget increases. Many crew members took to calling the film, as Trent said, flaws. Spielberg calculated that the... Spielberg calculated that during the 12-hour daily work schedule, on an average, only four hours were actually spent filming because of all the production production issues. Although principal photography was scheduled to take 55 days, it did not wrap until October 6th, 1974, after 159 days. So, basically three times the allotted amount. Spielberg was not on set for the final scene where the shark explodes as he thought the crew was going to throw him into the water for how the shoot had gone. 
it has since become a tradition for Spielberg to not be on set for the final scene of one of his films being shot, which poses some questions as to, like, who's directing that day, I guess. But I guess if you're Uncle Steve, you can do what you want. Part, do you know about the dual side of this? No. Do you? Yeah, I know a little bit about Duel. Well, just that Duel was a TV movie that he did before Sugarland Express, and I just heard him say on one of the bonus features that um, Duel had four letters, and so did Jaws, and Duel was about a truck, like a really big truck. Oh, yes, I do know this. It it chased around this guy in a car, and he was like, in terms of like the pursuit, like cat and mouse, like these movies are very similar. And I'm just doing duel on the water now. Yeah. They were just this giant leviathan that was chasing and pursuing and terrorizing. It was a similar story. And he also used a similar, for the final scene in duel, he used a B-movie, a dinosaur B-movie sound bite, I guess you would call it, of um, a dinosaur, like, screaming. And he used that in, um, when the, uh, now I'm ruining Duel for people. The TV when, movie when, from the 70s. When, when the Duel, when the, the truck goes over a cliff, he it kind of layers this dinosaur moaning um, into the sound of the metal bending. Well, and then he also uses that same dinosaur moaning clip in when the uh, shark, it like the exploded shark parts are sinking to the bottom of the sea. I was just going to mention that same shot because I've heard him talk about how with the truck, when it... I hate to spoil Duel. I know. But when it falls off a big cliff, it doesn't explode. And, like, everyone said that they wanted, or the studio wanted it to explode, but he said he'd, like, much rather have, like, a quiet death Mm -hmm. or, like, a respectable death. And it's so crazy to see... Like, the exploded shark, like, be so beautiful and with, like, the strings behind it because it's been the enemy the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it's it's victorious and celebratory, but you're like, this is beautiful, even though it's a robot dead shark. Uh, John Williams composed the film score, which earned him an Academy Award, and Spielberg has said that without Williams' score, the film would have been only half as successful, which still successful, but I guess not as successful. Um, the film was released on June 20th, 1975 and was incredibly financially successful and has become the seventh highest grossing film of all time if you adjust for inflation it won three academy awards and led to three sequels and now trent it's your time to shine three sequels that we'll be covering over the remainder of the summer so over 67 million people in the united states went to see this film after it was initially released in 1975 making it the first summer blockbuster Um, according to carl gottlieb the line, you're going to need a bigger boat, was not scripted, but was ad-libbed by Roy Schneider and is now... Scheider. Scheider. And is now often wrongly translated to we're going to need a bigger boat, I guess in everyday vocabulary. Um, Spielberg said that when he first read the novel, he found himself rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable. That is a thing in the book. Like, the characters are much more, like, problematic and flawed, and you know them a lot better. Well, I, there's that one scene where the shark gets stuck between the, the boat and the uh, the shark cage, and he's really struggling. It's like the only shot where they're um, showing the actual an actual great white. And I really felt for the shark then, because just to see anything struggling like that, you know? Well, what? and I mean, sh- you can 
share like they shot that they shot with a real shark with a mini cage and like a dwarf person Mm -hmm. inside of that cage to make the shark which was like 18 feet look 25 feet Mm -hmm. and then i think as the story goes the stunt performer was supposed to be in the cage but this incident with it getting tangled and going on top happened after and so matt hooper was originally supposed to die But when that happened, they thought, we have to have him escape before so we can use this. And that's just how movies are made. It's when a shark accidentally goes on a cage, you know? Well, it was such great footage. It really was. It's really only footage where you see that it's it's a living thing. Yeah. You know. Um, Director Steven Spielberg named the shark Bruce after his lawyer. Uh, Brody's dog in the movie was actually Steven Spielberg's dog, Elmer. Um, and according to director Steven Spielberg, the prop arm of Chrissy Watkins looked too fake um, when her remains are discovered. And so instead, they buried a female cast member uh, in the sand with only her arm exposed in that shot with all like the crabs crawling around. Sure. Parth, is it one, t- is it one star review time? Yeah, I-, I think it's time. Mom, do you want to read the first one? Um, sure. You- We're so do- you can say who it's by, what they think about it, and then... The body. So, can, but can I say one thing about um, when, you, when you said that Roy Schreider ab, uh, ad-libbed that line? When he, he does actually, if you watch like the outtakes, he does actually say, you're going to need a bigger boat. And then they change it to, we're going to need a bigger no, boat. No, I just watched it, and it's, you're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to have to beg to differ, because if you watch the... Um, outtakes you didn't watch the whole thing anyway we'll just have to well, are you saying it's where or it's your your he says to he says you, to quinn because it's his book yes yeah but i'm saying that people misremember it oh and people misquote it okay yeah it's like a uh, luke i'm your father situation right where right he right. says no i'm your father right you know i got you okay I'm sorry also though that. okay in in the um as far as it being ad-libbed, there's a story about J.J. Abrams having a meeting with Steven Spielberg, and he was just going through his annotated script of Jaws. And according to J.J. Abrams, there was some like there was like a two or three sentence line there, and Steven Spielberg crossed it out and wrote, "You're gonna need a bigger boat." So I guess it's a little contested as to whether it's ad-libbed or if mm. oh what the deal with that is. Um, another thing that I can men- uh, that I'd like to mention is you do uh, you guys both mentioned Gottlieb right as yes. um, as the writer um, he was actually an act hired as an actor originally and he plays the journalist who um, he works for the the Gazette right um, the Amity Gazette and he is one of the characters who is on the um, oh, Trapaquitic the the ferry mm. yeah. Um, which, guys, you got to take a road trip and then a ferry trip over and go to see Martha's Vineyard because you can see all these spots. And it's super oh, cool. well, I mean, so you can speak on that. It, I mean, you just went there. Oh, well, I don't want to get us off t- off track. Well, well, quickly, what are the cool job spots you can see? Oh, dude, we went last summer and we went with our friends who have a family home at Martha's Vineyard. So they were kind of not that into it. But I was like, we have to go to these spots. And um, so we went to um, the American Legion Bridge, which is uh, that goes over the estuary where the 
The, it's the end of the pond. Yeah, the pond. They call it a pond, which I never understood that. Um, but uh, that bridge, Kurt, d- Daddy, um, <laughs> Mr. Elgar, actually jumped off that bridge. Like, it's a thing that people do. Um, yeah, and you jump into the water. It's kind of tricky because the way the bridge is designed, you actually you have to stand on a rail and then jump out over these other pilings. In any case, I did not do that. I stayed on... Um, on Solid the, land. I stayed on the um, like the jetty, uh, 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 and per- I did my reenactment of the whole scene of shark, shark. In the There's pond. a shark in the, the pond. pond. Yeah. Um, another cool place is just going on the Chappaquiddick ferry. Uh, it's not the same. It's a little bit bigger. They can fit like three cars on it now. And then we did go over to Chappaquiddick, which is a whole other movie. Yeah, which and, is a whole other you know thing. Um, but when you go over to Chappaquiddick, you can see the Beach Club, which is where the cabanas with the orange and white little cabanas where, um, you know, Alex Kittner gets it. Yeah, the little Kittner boy. Yeah, the little Kittner boy. Alex Kittner, your hands yeah. are pruning. Yes. Yeah, so you could go over to um, that Beach Club there. And um, that was pretty cool. Where else could you go? Oh, you know where the 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 billboard is. They where they, where they um, damaged the, the graffiti, the vandalism. The vandalism. Um, and you can see the gay head lighthouse in the back. You can go and see that. Um, the lighthouse is in the last shot of the movie. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Um, there are two. There's another lighthouse. The white lighthouse. The gay head lighthouse is brown. Um, and the and the Chappaquiddick lighthouse is, I think it might be that's the one you're talking about, is a, what is white and Parth, small. do you know what happened at Chappaquiddick? Yes. Okay. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chappaquiddick's a really good movie, too, by the way. I really I really enjoyed it. But And you can go and see all the spots there, too. So sure. make it a twofer. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Okay, your make, make your money's worth. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just Bang seeing the fairy... Right, you go and see Edgar Town. Like, there's a picture of me with my arms spread wide um, on the steps of um, the Edgar Town Town Hall. You know, which is where you get introduced to Quint. And so, you know, it's, it's super cool for me, anyway, to go and see all those spots. If you find yourself in Martha's Vineyard and you like Jaws or sharks, yeah, you've got to go and check all these spots out. So, okay, what does Angel this? have to say about the movie, though? This was a horrible movie and boring. What's wrong with her? Yeah, I, I no right. I, I have to say, you know, maybe it didn't age well for some people who weren't like brought up on it. Maybe in a way, no. I think this is considered like, one of the most. I think that's like ludicrous. Times. Yeah, I I, I can't. I, I understand, understand that you were trying to play devil's advocate. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Some I don't think are... Angel deserves any credit, really. Okay. I, I think Forget they just may Angel. have no taste. That could be the simplest explanation. That was my B explanation. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Parth, do you want to take James Pascarella's review? Sure. Uh, so this is from James Pascarella, and he says in his title, Language, and his review is Profanity. Is that even true? Like, what? when he says, like, smile, you really. son of a bitch, like, it's like, it's covered like, by the gunshot. Isn't... This isn't a particularly like sweary no. movie at all. No, this, this movie is PG rated because it was before the advent of, of PG thirteen. Yeah, good one, Trent. I would still think it was stupid, but it would make more sense if he was like violent or something. But this isn't a very profanity profanity laid movie. 
I remember in elementary school, at a certain point, we were like, we want to be able to pick the movies that we watch on like a on like a rainy day or whatever. And the teacher was like, we can watch movies, but just they have to be PG rated. And I was like, Jaws is PG rated. We should watch that. <laughs> but uh, I just because Steven Spielberg hadn't invented PG thirteen yet with the Temple of Doom, because that was it, really because it was so in between that they needed to make something new. Oh, interesting. It was, it was, Temple of Doom is PG rated, but it caused such an uproar because parents were so upset. People's hearts are getting ripped out of their chests and stuff. They created the PG-13 rating after. I guess as an offshoot. And I think uh, Spielberg really didn't want it to be super gory, you know, in that, um, you know the scene in the estuary, the pond, where um, the estuary guy—I think that's how he's even credited—the um, the guy, guy paddling the little rowboat. Yeah, who gets his leg cut off, right, or ch- eaten over his? We see he, his leg. All his leg is what remains. Yeah, everything else gets eaten. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but the or, that original scene was where estuary guy swims over. You know, you know, in the in the final cut you see both of them kind of looking stunned. They come up, flip their hair, and they're both in the water. That's Ray Guy and Michael Brody. Mm-hmm. And initially, he had Escuary Guy go over and scoop him up, scoop the kid up. But then the shark bit him, and there's a scene where the blood's just coming out of his mouth, and Michael Brody is, like, facing him. And um, he, he changed it because it was too gory, and he just didn't want that type of a, a movie. You know, I, I guess that explains why he went into shock. Uh, yeah. No, but the, the the witnessing a man die right in front of you that'll that'll do it. Right, and and those are the good old days where you could, for mild shock, you would get to spend the night in the hospital. Uh, like like now they they would they yeah. would discharge you. Oh yeah, My, no, yeah. <laughs> it was before HMOs. I don't know if I'm speaking another. What's an HMO? It's okay. Let's not. Uh, it's, it's all right. <laughs> it's a type of a medical plan. Got it. But Trent, um, you should give us our last one star review. So the last one is by Cherie Walker, and uh, the title is question mark. And he says, "I did not order this movie," with three exclamation points. But like he says it like it's a bad thing, but that should be like an act of God that like a higher power wants you to watch Jaws, and therefore. Your your account has taken matters into its own hands. So, Parth, what comes after this? This is where we just talk a little bit about what's working and what's not working for us about this movie. And I have a feeling that one of these questions will be answered more than the other. Uh, yeah, I have a preface, and it's that I think that the next 20 minutes or so is just going to be a love fest. And I think that we can all just enjoy talking fondly about our friend Jaws the Shark. Because the next three movies, we're going to have some small criticisms to unpack. And so now I think we should just enjoy ourselves. Because we have Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and Jaws 4, The Revenge, coming up. Oh, dear. And somehow, even though time passes and technology only gets more advanced, the production quality decreases exponentially. Well, it's not. they're not Spielberg, right? None of them are Spielberg. Yeah, they're not Spielberg. And Doesn't have the Stevie magic. Yeah, so... Might have to cut out. Oh, for the next three episodes, <laughs> you—it's okay. You don't have to come on. But You're but terrible. We, no, I'll listen. Cool. Yeah, but I'll have nothing to. Uh, I can't. 
Par- Parth and I have never consumed alcohol actively on the show, but we thought for Jaws for the Revenge, we thought it would be good to loosen ourselves up. And oh. so we have that to look forward to. Oh. And it is the summertime after all. I do. The one thing that I can say about it is if you'll notice, I don't know if uh, Parth can see that my name is listed as Mrs. Taft. I can. Yes. Do you know what that reference is to? I can't say that I do, although okay. I just want to okay. add that Trent will often join the call either titled as The Beast in reference to Split or what's the other one, Trent? Or like Johnny Utah, which is from yeah. Whiplash. Mm. Well, um, I mean, Johnny Utah is from, Point, it's from Break, Point Break, but it's it's yes. referenced in Whiplash. Anyways. Uh, but yes, I told my mom this going in and I thought we were going to go for something like Bruce or like Chief Brody or something like that. And she, and you said... I should have gone with Hooper, really. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but you said this minor character. Yeah, Mrs. Taft, who really plays into a lot, into like Jaws 2 and Jaws 3. Not that I've seen them, but I've heard that Mrs. Taft plays a, a, a larger role in those. Yeah. She is the lady who is, uh, when Ellen Brody asks her on the beach at the Chappaquiddick uh, uh Beach club. Um, about being an when islander? can you be an islander? And she said, "You'll never be an islander unless you're born here. You're never going to be an islander." And she has like the big glasses. She owns the she owns a motel, and she is in the um the in the the town hall meeting. She's sitting in the front, and when uh, somebody makes a joke about the Kettner about Mrs. Kettner, she was like, "I don't find that funny." I don't think that's funny. Yeah, yeah. She was like, "I don't think that's funny at all." I I, I think it's interesting that in a weird you like see the same Islander faces popping up throughout the movie, and she's a good example. But I'm like this. He he's done a good job of making this feel so big and so small, but you don't see like repeating extras in other movies, really. Mm. Well, you know they did have part, you know, speaking parts, and and she does go on to play. Well, that, there's uh, speaking of Jaws too. There's a very famous tweet that the mayor from Jaws is still the mayor in Jaws too, and then they're like local local elections matter mm. um, because. You you think after the events of Jaws one you would get voted out of office? Mm. Not well, not an Amity Island. Well, when the pandemic was happening, and this is really going off on a tangent, um, I could not help but make comparisons to Jaws because you know I'm me. Well, it's funny. And- it's funny you say that because I saw this movie for the first time last year, and that was kind of like just before we went back to college, so it still kind of felt like we were in semi quarantine. And it was like crazy watching the mirror or mayor because it was like, oh, okay. So maybe he's not this. Maybe this is not unrealistic. No, not at all. Parth, we need those summer dollars. Amity is a summer town. Yeah, when you say Barracuda, whatever. People say, huh? Yeah. What? <laughs> you, say, <laughs> you, you yell shark on the 4th of July. You got a panic on your hands. Yeah, you, you got a panic on your hands on the 4th of July. Yeah. I, I I tried to take notes during the first half, and I couldn't help but just write down like everything the mayor said, um, because and his suits, the, oh, the little anchors, anchors. yeah, and the, the yeah. pastels. He was Spielberg's first choice, like other for other roles, as you mentioned, Parth. Um, he had other people in mind, but he wanted I think his name's Murray Hamilton. Yeah, um, and he was like this guy. He's the Perfect smarmy, you know, 
Yeah, asshole. Yeah, I wrote down, sick vandalism. I want those paint-happy bastards caught and hung up by their Buster Browns. <laughs> um, you know what Buster Browns are? I get th- their underpants? No. Do you know what Buster Browns are? I what? can't say that I do. It's a brand of shoes. It would be like saying Doc Martens, but usually worn by kids, more or less. Parth, what immediately... You watched Jaws for the first time a year ago, and... I, do you know how, like, when the pandemic first started, everyone was watching movies that had nothing to do with the pandemic, and they were like, Jurassic Park's actually about the pandemic. How did you take Jaws for the first time? Um, well, I mean, I wasn't trying to go at it through a pandemic lens, but, I mean, I, like, watching it, there's some pretty obvious, like, parallels of, let's not look at this problem, let's try to continue on business as usual, that are kind of unavoidable. And especially last year, um, I think when I saw it, it was like just after the January 6th riots, which, fun fun fact, Trent and I were recording the day of, and uh, just before recording, we looked at the news, and I said, Trent, have you seen what's been going on? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And um, we decided that, craft services would prevail if America wouldn't. Um, but anyways. Um, if democracy was failing, craft services had to... Would still be in. standing. It would, we would be the yeah. last flag flying, you know? Yes, yeah, so we have to release episodes every Sunday until the sun explodes. Like, even if the, even if the, the American government dissolves. Right. Exactly. Proud of you. But um, see, seeing, it the, seeing it for the first time last year... Um, is interesting because a lot of times you see movies that are because it's it came out what 75 right like i mean i feel like i often have this experience watching older movies but like it's it feels so modern like it doesn't feel like an antiquated kind of thing it feels like it moves so well i don't know how else to put it and it, it like everything feels right um and it's crazy that this is like spielberg's third movie um and like second second theatrical one at age at age 26 28 i think he said i heard him say 26 26 oh we're fighting again yeah i thought he's i thought he was 28 but part and i fight a lot so this is nothing okay. new. yeah this, we'll this is well covered ground on craft services but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just like, uh, I guess I was just taken aback by how um, well it still functions. And um, filming on the real ocean really helps to still sell all of the drama and tension of going after this shark in a way that a lot of movies that have come out like four or five years ago kind of still don't hold up because you can feel the artifice. In regards, I'm sh- maybe you're just about to say something similar, but I know he said that we have to film this on the real ocean because otherwise, if we're just like, cl- if we're in like a river or something or close to shore, in any shot, you'll be able to see land in the background and the audience will think they should just turn around yeah. and go back. I, like you need to feel like you're stranded out there. Because otherwise there'd be too easy of a solution. And Martha's Vineyard is really the only place that they could do it. Um, because it's the only place that you could um, be far enough out there where you couldn't see the shore. Um, and 
it would still only be 30 feet deep because it has a really slight uh sloping um it's not very deep yeah and so because they have to set up all the robot sharks yeah and if it if it malfunctions and, and sunk to the bottom 30 feet you could recover it mm-hmm. and move on or the boat or something like that but um so martha vineyard is the one and actually that was the first time anybody filmed on martha's vineyard and um uh, it's really amazing that they let people do it because it is a tourist town that relies on tourist dollars. And um, then you would think that people would uh, not want to go there. Do <laughs> they'd, the you know, they'd be afraid. The yeah, they'd make it. And when we were there with uh, Jeb and Lisa last summer, um, because there's a lot of marine mammals, that we had, they, they, Closed the beach. They blew the whistles and got everybody out of the water when we were there. And I was like, this is perfect. Yeah, you're living it um, out. Because there were sharks, you know? So, anyway. I can't help but think I, maybe it's this is just being a, a mortal human being or maybe it's with my family history of liking Jaws. But every time I go in the ocean, I'm like, huh. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, most shark shark attacks happen within ten feet of the of the shore, within less than three feet of water. Exactly. You know? Well, I wanted to ask because we I don't remember if this was on mic or off mic, but just prior to like really starting the episode, I was talking about how I've been made fun of for watching Top Gun Maverick in theaters five times, and uh, you told me that you probably saw jaws like 15 times in theaters and i just wanted to wonder like what was that like yeah how did it change over the 15 times i'm surprised that my dad your grandpa like would you know because he was forking over the money that would pay for it you know but um i i just loved it so much you know we didn't have an option it was not going to like when I said something earlier about how things age differently, I want to come back to that too. But if you can imagine at the time, if you love something, it, you, it, like now you can say, oh, I'll get it on DVD or I'll watch it on a streaming service. You watched it and then it went away yeah. for 10, 15 years until you could maybe catch it on a, uh, on, on, a on, the, on a rerun on TV. So you had to seize, seize the, the moment. moment. Yeah. You had to, if that's what you love. And then I started reading up. Uh, all kinds of books. I remember I flew down to um, Florida, went down to Florida, and I the only books that I had with me on the plane were about sharks. And um, I remember there was somebody next to me just like looking at me like I was a crazy person. But when I was saying about how thing when I met we mentioned about the person's um, negative review, and I said, well, maybe it didn't age well in that. Up until that point, like people didn't know about sharks like we know about sharks, you know, Um, we didn't have as much. um, We had, you know, there were five TV channels, right? There wasn't the nature channel. There wasn't videos that you could rent or watch. We had very limited experience about that. That's part of one of the reasons how he could get away with um, it not looking so real. If I can throw out a little negative comment about you know when the when it comes in the in the final scene when it comes into the boat and he puts in a in the the gas tank into his the diving tank into his mouth 
you know, now a little bit more of a critical eye would be like, yeah, it's a little lame because we know about sharks more. You know, we've seen them back then, unless you saw it maybe on Wild Kingdom, which is on after once on once a week. Um, and they happen to show, you know, the odds of you having seen footage of sharks was very unlikely. And um, so that's how they could get away with that a little bit, too. And plus, in the the USS uh, Indianapolis uh, speech, which is, you know, great, the great speech, um, if you would call it a speech, I guess. Monologue, um, whatever. Monologue, yeah. He, um, Quint, sets it up that they don't look real. Right. When he says they're lifeless eyes, they're like a doll's eyes. So and I think it's part of that speech is really um, great because it kind of lets you go, OK, that's why it doesn't look. It's covering their own ass production wise. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. You know, just something something I thought about. That speech, I know it's so famous and I didn't understand why it was important when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And now I watch it and I'm like, fuck, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, they, people, they talk a lot how he's actually drunk during the filming, but like they talk about that as an important scene in movie history. And, uh, I get why now. It's also interesting to bring up how, like what the point you were bringing up of, um, like people didn't know back when the movie came out, like how much the internet has changed, like media consumption, because like, you can go, I mean, like, I'm very guilty of it, of, like, whilst watching, like, let's say a movie based on a true story, and you just search it up, like, is this even true? And you can so easily figure out all that information. Or, like, if you ever go back and watch the first Mission Impossible, they're playing very fast and loose with how the internet works. Like, kind of, like, relying on the audience not knowing. And if you have a movie come out now, people can, like, like, if Jaws were to come out now, people would be able to pause and frame and and zoom in on, like, every single shot and, like, to see, like, the imperfections of it, um, which I think is for the general detriment to movies. When you started talking about the imperfections, I thought you were going to talk, and you mentioned the gas canister, I thought you were going to say from a science standpoint that that exploding doesn't check out. And I only know that because I saw it on Mythbusters. Mm. And if Why, you shot, what's wrong with it? If you shot a get uh, what compressed, compressed air, air, it would shoot in like in a, in a direction, and it might like like go down the shark's throat or something, but it wouldn't explode mm. the way in such a satisfying, dramatic way that it does. Mm. But that's for the that's for the Mythbusters, a higher force, a higher power to decide. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, another thing is is when Quint's getting chomped, you mm. know, and he grabs the knife and he the stab- machete. The, the, the he's, st- he's stabbing the the shark. Um, he keeps it in one hole. Yeah, you know? I, I noticed that too. <laughs> and he, you know, but of course because you know he can't just keep putting holes in this robot. In, in this robot, yeah, exactly. But you know, still a great movie. Come on. Do you think that Quint? wants to die yes and you think he's out there do you think he has survival survivor's guilt or he's just a crazy oh, man interesting point survivor's guilt but when he smashes the radio mm. right and then it's he, the radio and then him killing the engine and killing the engine 
Exactly. The engine, that's another little thing. Like when they when they, they would alternate back and forth in between uh, black smoke and white smoke. Mm. And black smoke means you're burning oil. And then white smoke means that it's uh, steam. So I was kind of like, that's a little bit of a weird inconsistency. But um, whatever. Also, I've always thought after they kill the engine, it's because the shark is chasing them. Mm-hmm. And then the engine dies. And then the shark like catches up with them and then just turns away. Mm. And then they set up the whole cage and it comes back. Mm. But it's in hot pursuit. Mm. Well, who knows what the shark's thinking. No, no, I thought, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, I love how they say, I don't know if the shark is really smart or really dumb. Right. Because that excuses everything that they can do from that point on. Right, like, right, this right. is just a beast and any decision, like, you don't need to overthink. Right. So good. So good. Parth? Good, good movie. Um... <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's kind of one of those movies where, like, I don't know that I even have, like, everything that could ever be said about it has been said. Like, I don't yeah, know that like, I... Yeah, like, right, let's say all the things that have already been said. Uh, having production problems forces you to make creative compromises that in the long run actually add more drama to the movie. Um, let's do this. Um, uh, 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 showing less, less is more. Don't show the monster until later because it makes you enjoy it later on. 100%. Um, Parth, you, you've listened to film criticism. What are some obvious Jaws comments? Uh, uh, it's important to have character moments even in a blockbuster like this, like the scene where the kid is copying, um, mm. Roy Scheider. Have all of his movements. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, that's a movie. Another, uh, that's another thing that J.J. Abrams has talked about, is um, that's a scene that can, in editorial, get cut, and wouldn't really fundamentally change the movie in any way, but that happening is a very kind of, like, human moment, and sometimes things don't necessarily need to be pushing the plot forward to be an important part of the movie as a whole. I wrote down that it, during that exact scene that Steven Spielberg's understanding of such a young age of like family sentimentality was very impressive because that feels like an observation of like an older soul mm. or someone with kids. Who's trying to establish that he was a, a family person and the fi- that really established the family dynamic there. He's someone that like, he's one of those like once in a whatever kind of person where you're like how do you know so much at such a young age because if you look at this movie like the blocking of certain of the sequences Mm. and of certain shots Mm. is just so amazing and also they you know for all the stuff where they're on the water most of the movie is handheld and it doesn't right it doesn't look like that like it doesn't look you know, even in movies now, like, like if it's handheld, it's usually like you know, like it, it, the camera's isn't there too a heavy or something. Gyroscopic component to f- to help straighten it out, but now there is. Like but now, back then, not really. Now. Back back then, think, that wasn't really there. I mean, Rocky kind of made the steady cam with that shot where he runs up the stairs. He, that made that like more famous, but. I don't know. Just this being handheld and such a like scrappy production is, and is on kind the water. of insane. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it on the water. And I guess that, and didn't they develop the, um, 
because it was the first time to my recollection, but I don't know, I was in middle school, that um, we had ever seen, um, and I still love that effect when it goes above and below the water. Mm. They're like the camera is inside a box and, and you're shooting above the water and below the water at the same time. And I, I don't know if that's the first time, but that. it's definitely, it was something while I was reading up on the movie, they were having a lot of problems because the cameras would keep getting wet. And so then that would constantly delay production. And, like, like again, they were shooting on film, so that meant that, like, with a digital camera, like, maybe you your memory card might be protected and you can take that out if the camera's destroyed and still get whatever footage you got. But if your film gets wet, like, you're screwed. Can I That's say it. something? Please. Um, well, evidently, part of the... Uh, the um, the developing process of film uses a saline solution, which is a salt, uh, like a salt mm-hmm. component. Component, um, and so there was a portion where the orca um, did go underwater unintentionally and got um, the film wet. And so they said, okay, well, the first component of developing this type of film is the saline solution. So let's. Um, just keep it in the water and they shipped it back to LA, flew it back to LA and developed it and it was perfectly fine and used. Wow. So maybe literally screw everything I just said. That's amazing. That's awesome. I did want to circle back to something about Spielberg and family Mm. and even at a young age having this um, you know, insight into family dynamic and the importance of showing that in he really, uh, most of his movies have to do about family. And I think it was, I saw an interview with him, maybe it was about E.T. or something. And um, he, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I stalled there for a minute. He um, was from a divorced family and really yearned for that family um, connection and really missed that family feeling. And that's why he, he says that he has that that's a major component of most of his films he's got major daddy issues because um his parents split up when he was young and he blamed his father for that and then it turned out that his mom was the one that had had an affair and he's even after learning that he still blamed his dad they've reconciled since but um a lot of his movies have like very present mother characters and either aloof or in the case of et non-present father figures Uh, i couldn't help like i mean you mentioned like the blocking and this goes without saying this is another thing yeah yes jaws has really good blocking and really long oneers but yeah during i i mentioned this before i try to take notes during the first half and like on production stuff and then you reach the third act where they're on the boat and you're like what's the i'm just here for the vibes now (laughs) um but during the first act when i was paying attention and writing um Spielberg like combining shots or doing just like and like using the foreground and the background and like shifting focus and also just like having characters walk around to have a whole conversation without cutting it's awesome yeah and I mean the last third of the movie is all in one location I mean I guess you have the vastness of the sea but even that I mean it it kind of all looks the same at a certain point so you really have to like design your shots and move your characters in interesting ways 
to keep the audience's attention. And as many others think, he has done it successfully. Are we going to talk about the shooting star or double shooting stars? That was my next thing to bring up. So everyone likes to talk about the the real shooting star because it's awesome. But then there's two, there's, it's two in a row, no? Mm Mm-hmm. And so is it... There's one with right, right behind Roy Schreider, uh, yeah, Brody. Yeah, well, he's like reloading the gun. And then there's another, the like, a long shot, it, I it's, guess. Yeah, it's like a wider of the abode. Wide shot. And, but it's... I don't know if it's supposed to be the, sh- the same shooting star captured from a different angle or if it's a different one. But it they play them in sequence. Yeah, it's not supposed to be the same one. It's supposed to be two shooting stars? I think so. Well, I mean, as people know, uh, the, this one was, like, real and, like, a miracle. And then, since then, Steven Spielberg has, like, to artificially put shooting stars in the backgrounds of his movies. Yeah. It's like a little, it's like but, Hitchcock and his face being somewhere. But it looks, like, so, like, not what you'd think. It's, like, red. Hmm. Hmm. Have you ever seen, seen shooting stars? I think I was driving once, and I saw something go across my periphery, but uh, I, I, I would say that maybe but also uh, with no level of certainty mm. have you i don't think i've ever seen a shooting yeah. star yeah yeah um you have to go where there's not as much light pollution and it's not that uncommon hmm. it's, it's i'm sure if you look up at the sky long enough yeah if you go yeah if you go um well things are moving around in outer space all the time right but um it's it's not it's not that uncommon to see them if you go where you know uh it's not as densely populated well, uh, what's your guys' favorite death in the movie? I was surprised when Alex Kittner gets eaten. Like, the spray of blood up from his raft. I was like, jeez. You know? I was going to say right. that one. Yeah. And and some people say the first time you see the sh- uh, the shark is in the pond. Mm-hmm. But you do really see, like, the... Th- I don't know what they use for the fins. Because... Yeah, yeah, you see, like, it do, like, a flip thing. Yeah, yeah. and you see the, the fins and I, everything. I noticed that, too. I thought it was an interesting movement. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that kid... I don't know who that actor is who played little uh, Alex Kintner. But... Um, it must have been pretty traumatic for a ten-year-old kid because he had they had to drag him down and you know put the blood and never you know and every and everything like that. Like you often hear um, the actress who played yeah, Chrissy. Chrissy. Uh, she almost, I was just gonna say she almost got drowned too. Well, she had a quick release on her. That she yeah, but it was like a tow line was attached to her, yeah. and then they were on the beach dragging her back and forth. Right, right, right. So you hear her talk about that experience, but we never hear that kid. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I think if it was... Uh, any thoughts on how uh, it would be different if it was made today? Any thoughts? I mean, they wouldn't the... shoot it. For the most part, they wouldn't shoot it on the real there, ocean. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be robot sharks. Yeah. They would have trained a real one. No. <laughs> CGI. That's if Tom Cruise yeah. was doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, be CGI. No, I mean, I think that... I guess I don't know. If you got a good director, you could maybe make it really well now. But I think there would be, I don't think that it's that you can't make it the way it was, but um, I think there'd be a lot of studio pressure to change aspects. Like, I don't think you would shoot on the real locations. I don't, I think you would be forced to use a CG shark and it wouldn't be as convincing. It's an unfair question because every shark movie after Jaws is a product of Jaws. Mm. Um, 
But, like, look at, like, the Megalodon that came out. I mean, you didn't see it, but it came out within the last five years, and it's... This is a shark movie, but it's... We have to outdo or go bigger or weirder, Mm -hmm. and so it's a Megalodon, and it's just bigger. Right. And you'd think that that would make it better somehow, but it's so much worse. Mm. Or, I mean, even, like, and I enjoy it, Trent, we saw Crawl together, which it's a different type of movie. but and like, yeah, but still a creature movie. But still a creature, and like with water, like it's about like killer crocodiles, and and as much as I like that, it doesn't even come close to, you know, the the the, the kind of visceral gritty feeling of Jaws, and also, I don't think you would have the scenes of the three men on the boat in the same way that you do with. It, in the movie as it is now. I don't think that like I can't I don't know if I can name a movie that's come out recently that's like a big studio movie that has scenes where the characters are just like talking to each other like that. What was that um Quentin Tarantino movie that I thought should be made into a play? It was The Hateful Eight. Eight. That was the last episode. Oh, wait, that's the last thing we yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm pretty topical on this, right? But um The Hateful Eight, which I think should be a play. It would be a good play. But um, that was one where it was this contained space. Yeah. You know, similar. Uh, that's just the thing that popped into my head when you were saying that. So. Yeah. Uh, I think if it was made today, um, with all those other things considered, I think there would be more emphasis on uh, the New England accent. You know? You know, there'd be dialect coaches. Around because there's only one person who has a New England accent, and that was Michael Brody, the kid. He's like, "My vampire cut my hand." Yeah, like when he comes in playing on that play, swing set, right? The vampire cut his hand, but nobody else, even Mrs. Taft, who is an Islander, yeah, has an accent. Has, she doesn't have the New England accent. Now we know why Hooper and Brody don't, um, but uh, you would think that because that's kind of a big thing, like at the the accent. Anyway. No, but speaking of, it's really cool how you have this, like, backstory of, like, them being from New York, and he's a cop, and he's like, oh, you th- I, th- I think I can make a difference in this small town, but in New York, you feel like I never make any progress, mm-hmm. but all of that isn't delivered in a way that feels forced, it's just, like, in the background, and if you get it, you get it, and if you don't, you don't, but there's not, like, a flashback scene of them him stopping crime in new york and it just uh, that would have been terrible well yeah for obvious reasons but also just like delivering important information in a sly way right um and also just like there's so much world building-y dialogue that i don't and there's a lot of overlapping dialogue or said by other characters that isn't like important or necessary but just like you know rounds out the world yeah um, the other thing, uh, they wear black a lot because they're from New York. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh, her, uh, Ellen Brody's bathing suit is black. Nobody else's bathing suit is black. Brody wear is wearing black. Yeah, like that's the black kind of turtleneck on a boat. Yeah, and the black t-shirt. And uh, yeah, because that's a New York thing. But Yeah, in that, in the appendix, Mary Ellen Moffat, She Broke My Heart. Scene. That's one of my favorite from ever, forever lines. Yeah. But he, in his, it's just such a dark room. And with the black turtleneck, his head is like levitating in space oh. because he's like so cast in shadow. Mm-hmm. Just eerie. When he looks down to see his, for his appendix scar. Right. Trent, do you think we're approaching 
a um like a, a nuclear blast anytime soon i think you're gonna i'm gonna sit back and enjoy while you try to explain what happens at this part of the show to my mother oh my um so uh once we start to reach the end of the episode we realize that we have to enter the ratings gauntlet and anytime we're about to enter the ratings gauntlet um when editing the episode trent uh will add a nuclear uh blast sound effect and we um fake scream like we're being burnt up by the explosion oh my okay and so whenever we say the word gauntlet a a bomb drops and then we all scream should we take our headphones off oh no it's not like don't screw at the top of your lungs, but just a little like animated cartoony like, scream, ah! like something, something like that. to that effect. Oh, drats! I was really want. I really wanted to go big on this, but okay, I can. I Wait, can, no, I no, can dial it back. No, for, I'll dial it back for fun. No, no, no. Should we let her scream? Let, let's do one scream. Let's let's do it. Uh, okay, welcome to the ratings gauntlet. Oh, uh, you did that for class. I saw that. Yes. Yeah, and I had to scream for that. Yeah, you did a big scream. I did a big scream for that. And and you were particular about which take we use. (laughs) I'm I'm a particular person. You're a scream queen. Pain in the ass. Yeah, you're a scream queen. I've been told that I've been difficult. Oh, you're using the word difficult. Okay, Mm -hmm. I was trying to give you some credit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this should go by pretty fast. Um... I, I mean, I, I feel like the ratings gauntlet is best for, like, a movie that's sort of, like, down the middle. And we're like, do we like it? Do we not? Would we recommend it? Would we... Uh, the three questions uh, are, Is do we recommend it? Is it rewatchable? And what's the rating out of ten? And and I, I, I just hate to say it, but it, this is pretty obvious. Yeah. Oh, the answer? Uh... I would I would watch it. I would recommend it. I give it a t- a, a ten. Yeah, I, that's pretty obvious. There 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 have been less than five tens on the show. Really? In, in our hundred episodes of existing, but if this isn't one, I'll be fucking damned. Hmm. Parth. Yeah, I guess I would have to concur. It, it'd feel wrong to give this anything else. I wouldn't like you any less if you didn't. I won't judge you. Be, <laughs> be that as it may, I got to do it for Uncle Steve. I, oh yeah, it's 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 truly something special. Agree. Um, I like. Is this the first? Steve. Is this the first unanimous three-way ten a movie has gotten? But did you give it a ten, Trent? I'm about to. Yes, yes, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, ten. Um, no, no, that's unanimous. But is this his best movie? No, I don't think so. I don't, I, 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 there was a moment where I thought, I love this, but Jurassic Park's better. Hmm. 
Seeing Jurassic Park, that was one of those, that was another one of those where it was groundbreaking when you saw it for the first time. Yeah, I can only imagine being alive during that. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing it for the first time, it was just really unbelievable. Because they really created dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I I can't I can't because it's um, apples and oranges. It's apples and oranges exactly. I can't compare it because just this. It, I think because it means so much to me on other levels that I I couldn't even like if I'm not gonna I'm not gonna if watch we cover Jurassic Park I don't that uh, yeah we'll, we'll get a dinosaur to come on we'll, yeah. like I there's a Velociraptor from Toronto who he he's there he is he just joined the Zoom call. I'm impressed. You know people. You know dinosaurs too, evidently. On on such short notice. Um, Blue, this isn't you. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Chris Pratt. You made, Chris Pratt just you, made, you made a promise to a dinosaur. <laughs> you saw the new Jurassic World, yeah? The, not the new. No, we haven't. Oh, yeah, but no, Chris it's, Pratt's, it's pretty terrible. I don't Chris know why Pratt's you always give Jeff Goldblum an Australian accent, though. He really doesn't that, sound like that. That's just like my movie guy accent, guy in movie. Um, but Chris Pratt is able to control Velociraptors just by sticking his hand out, and then he blue. has like blue. <laughs> What's it's 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 a it's a based on it's a form of mutual respect. Is isn't that what they call it? Like, yeah, no, he's friends with the Velociraptor. Yeah, the vicious killing monsters. Um, mm. It's pretty awesome. Well, uh, I did want to go see because I do love Jeff Goldblum. I do love him. Um, but something happened that weekend that we were, when it first came out, sometimes I like to go and like the weekend that it's coming out just to kind of be part of like what the rest of the world is doing, you know, and I get excited um, for opening weekend. But something was happening. I didn't go to opening weekend and then it just kind of fell to the black burner. We didn't go. We I, almost you, covered it on the show and then yeah. our guests dropped out um, pretty uh soon before we were supposed to record and as much as i would have liked to have talked to the guest i think i would have felt bad like obliterating the movie that he'd done so much hard work on i have one uh like point that can tie us back into jaws about jurassic world dominion and it's that jurassic world dominion as i described it to you between laura dern and um and dr alan grant what's the actor's name for alan grant yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, it, Sam. Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so okay, it's not good. important, good but I said that in Jurassic World Dominion, there's a very spicy middle-aged romance between those two characters, and there's also a very spicy middle-aged romance in this film, Jaws, between Chief Brody and Ellen Brody, which I think like they're so cute, and I find it interesting to think about in the book how it's such a big part subplot that got cut. About right. Parth, I don't know if you know this, but she yeah, the, cheats. Yeah, the, the fair, right? Yes. yes it, it's like a huge deal that she cheats on Brody with Hooper before they all go out to the boat together. So you as a reader are looking at all of their time spent together on the boat as like a big lie. Right. Um, and during the dinner scene of the movie today, when he's talking about his... Oh, my husband says you're in sharks. Yes. And then he tells his whole story about, like, uh, when he's on the boat and he, got, and he got eaten as a kid, I couldn't help but think Injured. that he's trying to impress her and that there's the subtext, if you read the book, of 
that he's trying to swoon her in a way. Uh-huh. But there was no time for... You know, don't you just love a movie that's, like, a little bit over two hours long, and that's it? It's, the movie's two hours, four minutes. Bada-bing, bada-boom. It's pretty awesome. Do you want to bring us out? Was that to me or to your mom? Um, it, I, it was originally to you, and I was like, I don't think you know what to say. So, Parth, yeah. you, you start bringing us out, and then I'll, I'll whisper her some, some helpful hints. Um, sure. So, I, I guess I'll, I'll bring us out and give hints as to what where we're supposed to, what answers we're supposed to give to certain questions. But, um, uh, thank you so much to our guest, uh, Mrs. Algare, Trent's mom, now officially a friend of the show. Before and, you were a friend off the show. Oh, yeah, I love that. but now you're on the yeah. show. That's now, nice. now you're in a you're part of an exclusive club. Um, and if you if you come on the show five times like Jackson, you get a gold a gold jacket. So like the S- SNL um, five times club. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you can listen to us, Trent. Do you want to ask tell tell your mom where we can listen to? You can list, uh, You can listen to them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, that's crazy that you knew that. Um, and then <laughs> also, you can uh, probably you should follow us on our social media, which we have Instagram and Twitter, the relevant and, ones. And there will be a picture uh, posted of Trent dressed as Hooper. Right. I guess so. I will yes. that uh, uh, to you guys. I did not forget. If there's any other family history re- Jaws related photos that you stumble across along the way, those would also be. That would be uh, much appreciated. Like when we released our Dark Knight episode, we had all the pictures of me in various stages of my life dressed up as yeah, Batman. Yeah, I remember that. I remember with, you calling me and asking for or texting or, or me. Or with Batman. Got and you. I feel like there's definitely some shark stuff, like me standing in between a shark's jaw at the Jenkinson's Aquarium or something like that. Mm, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. I think there is a picture of me from that summer. Or that I could. Oh, uh, the summer you went. Yeah. Or, like, us at Universal Studios when I was 12. I'm sure there was a Jaws picture taken there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we got that. that. I think we got that. So go look at our Instagram. We'll post some really cool things. (laughs) And they should give us a review five stars and leave a rating. And you should give them a review five stars and uh, a rating. It yep. would be appreciated. Yeah. And tell, From and, his mother. And tell your friends about the show. It really does help. And tell your friends about the show, because it really does help. It really does, guys. Um, and you heard it from Mrs. Algar, so, like, who else do you need to hear it from, you know? Um, is that it? Next week, join us for Jaws 2, right? Jaws 2.0. Um, the best Jaws movie. We uh okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Earlier, I thought you were talking about that it was going to be tonight, and that's why I was like, oh, I'm going to exit stage left. But no, oh, you thought we were going to discuss all four films. This yes, season? no, Trent yes. and I don't have that kind of um, stamina. Endurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Nope. Generally, after we do either an hour and a half discussion like this or an interview that we're quite stressed for, uh, one of us will text the other that we have. Sw- sweat quite a bit and that we're we're like exhausted 
Mm. Um, and, and so the the thought of doing them back to back is is pretty much scientifically impossible. Yeah, it's draining. Yeah, I think no, we've pa- only that, ever pa- once done, done an interview too. and then had to record an episode for scheduling purposes. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is a contact sport. Little known fact. What? Podcasting is a contact sport. Oh. Anyways, um, <laughs> go rate us uh, five stars. Go give us a good uh, review. Go follow our social media. Come next week for Jaws 2. Trent and I will discuss the much-loved sequel. Uh, now we're reaching... I've never seen any of these movies before, so these will be first-time views on my part. Be sure to check Be sure to check out Mrs. Taft in Jaws 2. Oh, yes. And vote in your local elections, or the mayor will still be Jaws... Or the mayor... The, Mayor from Jaws will still be the mayor in Jaws three, if we don't if we don't do something about it and go to the polls. Guys, mm. the FBI has raided Trump's house. I know, I heard that. Um, I heard there was something to do with nuclear codes, which is kind of terrifying. Above, that's like bigger. Even like the whole thing is terrifying, but then we're even going to the next level of terror. Um, so yeah, join us next week to find out if the former president is behind bars, which let's hope so. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.